Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Haunted Historian podcast. One of the more frequent questions I'm asked about is what drove me into the paranormal. Typically I respond with a simple passion for the genre, a soft spot for history, and some impressionable experiences early on in my life. But for this episode, I wanted to open up and share as much as I can about the house that I grew up in the supernatural forces that plagued my childhood and early adulthood, and the horrors that would lead to my family home being featured on international television for the activity taking place inside of it. So turn off the lights and sit tight. This is Horror on the Homefront. Over the course of the past four years that I've had and uh, helped out with the Haunted Historian Instagram page, a lot of opportunities have come about for me to join other podcasts, to join reporters, journalists with different TV outlets and print publications around the country who follow the page or are doing seasonal posts about the theme of paranormal throughout the year. And one of the most popular questions I get is, what got me into the paranormal? What led to the creation of The Haunted Historian? What was the turning point for me uh, as a kid or whenever in my life that led to this very spooky hobby, we'll call it, with The Haunted Historian? And the reality of it all is, is that I grew up in a house that was pretty haunted, haunted enough that my brothers and I, three of us in total, all had experiences for the 20 plus years that we lived there that my parents had experiences and we were all in different levels of denial and we didn't come to any level of agreement on it until we'd sold the house and were moved out decades down the road. So I wanted to share some stories for the Haunted Historian podcast of what happened there while my family was growing up inside the house and what inspired the Haunted Historian to pick up where the horrors of my childhood left off. The earliest paranormal experience I remember having was an experience that I didn't even know was supernatural in nature until years more down the road. From about the ages of seven to 10, I would go to bed on most nights. My brothers and I all had separate rooms at this point, which I point out because I have a twin brother and we shared a, we shared a bunk bed for a lot of our early childhood. But my parents would go to bed after us We'd hear them walk up the stairs, we'd hear them turning off the lights in the house, and we'd hear them going into their room, the entire family turning in for the evening. And before I heard my parents turning in for the evening, oftentimes I would hear my mother, and she'd walk into my bedroom, and she'd sit down on the edge of my bed, and she would just watch me. She would do what I thought was admiring your child, you know? she'd stroke my hair, she'd rub my back, she'd pat my leg. Sometimes she'd be there for five minutes. Sometimes, truthfully, she'd be there for 45 minutes. And being a young kid, I just act like I'm asleep the entire time, but I'm very much awake. And this happened for a span of years. It happened to my brothers as well. And then later on, right as my parents were getting ready to sell the house decades later, 
I forget what it is that precipitated the conversation, but I bring up how she used to do that and how coddling, nurturing, kind of motherly it was for her to come in and check on her kids every night like that. And she couldn't have laughed harder. She looks at all of us and she says, why in the hell would I go into my son's room every single night and stroke your hair for 45 minutes? Like <laughs> five minutes would have been weird. I, she's like, I came in there and I like turn off your lights sometimes or I closed the door. I never came into your rooms and sat there. But each of us for the exact same period of years growing up had the very same originating experience in our home. Something came into our rooms, we felt it sit down on our beds and physically touched us for spans of time that neared an hour or sometimes were very quick. And then you would very audibly hear it get off the bed, the springs popping beneath the, the obvious weight and the footsteps going out the door. Did you see the figure or did you just assume that it was your mother coming in? Every single one of us assumed it was my mother but that's why i i mentioned towards the beginning of it you know we're young kids we're supposed to be in bed we have school the next day mm -hmm. we're all acting like we're asleep we're not turning around we're keeping our eyes closed she'd been doing it for quite some time so you know i don't we we all thought the same thing and if it had just happened to one of us we would have said something along the lines of like oh you're probably just having a recurring dream for this weirdly long portion of your childhood but every single one of us on the exact same nights for the exact same span of years had the exact same experience and it was the weirdest thing my mother couldn't have been more baffled by that i remember looking at her after telling her this decades down the road and she was kind of caught off guard that we all had this to share she knew i had a more of a penchant for the paranormal and really wanted this to be something more supernatural and she would have kind of scoffed at that had it been me alone but when it was all three of us, she was kind of just like shaking her head, didn't want to talk about it, got up from the table, you know, I have work to do guys and just went away. Like she didn't have answers for it. And you could tell coming from a mother's perspective, it was really disconcerting to hear that something was doing that to her very young kids mm -hmm. all that all that time ago. And it wasn't really harmful or malevolent, you know, it was something that was actually quite sweet and endearing. Exactly. And and that's exactly what it felt like. It, like I said, it felt nurturing. It felt motherly. It felt safe. None of us had the slightest inclination that what was in that room was malevolent in any way. Right. It was just such a visceral experience to both hear its footsteps, to feel its weight, and to physically feel the hand of it. And you know, now that you mention this, there's something very similar that I had happened to me when I was a kid. Uh, among other things, but this wasn't an every night occasion. It would happen, you know, maybe a couple times a month, and it would be something that would be brushing the hair off my forehead and behind my ear. Something, you know, like a mother would do. And I recall brushing it away, like, you know, as if somebody was touching my head, but it would happen as if there was something there with me in my bed. I couldn't feel it sitting on the bed, but. It was just, just something that was kind of, you know, helping me fall asleep at night uh, as a young kid. So I hadn't thought about that experience in quite a few years, but you mentioning this thing or this motherly figure that's been visiting you, very interesting that we've, we've had similar experiences.
It, it really is. And sensations of physical touch like that, they're always the sort of experiences that you need to have numerous times or you need to have numerous people feel it because it, it's so easy, especially for a kid to imagine that or let their minds run amok after a certain period of time psyching themselves out about it. But it's it's one of those common occurrences for young kids, I believe. And did you have like a grandparent or somebody in the family that passed on around this time? Maybe somebody that would be visiting you every single night? You know, it's funny you say that because the kind of the conclusion of that experience was when we kind of traced it all back to what might have happened when we were all of the age that it was beginning. My grandmother on my mother's side had just passed away. Hmm. And she was a very religious woman, a very kind woman. Um, and I think what kind of baffled my mom even more about it is she was still living at home back in Pennsylvania with her mother before she passed away when she was younger, of course, and her grandmother passed away. And when they came back from church, when she went back upstairs to her room, she always told us this, when she walked into this room, which she shared with her grandmother in her later years of life, uh, before she was she passed, she walked in there and she almost had to step out of the room because it was the thickest scent of incense inside of there, almost as though somebody was holding it under her nose. Her grandmother loved to burn incense, so it wasn't like a shock like that. My mother immediately thought, oh, my mom is burning some of my grandmother's incense somewhere nearby. But she never smelt it so strong and went downstairs and said, when did you light the incense up there? It's like agonizing to be in the room. And she tells my mom, we threw out all the incense of your grandmother's when she passed away like two weeks ago. Wow. So I think in a lot of ways, it was almost being overcome with emotion for my mother when we mm -hmm. told her this, because the idea that we also had an experience when our grandmother passed away. And I think it was just kind of hitting home for her and she didn't need to hear anything else about it. She knew that it was her mother coming back to see her children now. Well, that's sweet. <laughs> it was. Yeah, I think you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's sweet to know that grandma was there visiting you guys. Things didn't remain that sweet. They got a little more unnerving and unexplainable mm -hmm. as the years went on. And that's a lot of where the confusion for the haunting of um, the home I grew up in comes from. But it, yeah, I mean, it's at least for the years that we were the most vulnerable and the youngest, it was assumedly my grandmother and nothing else too right. crazy for that. I'll get in to some of this weirder, darker stuff, we'll say, by prefacing it with this. Words, they'll never do it justice. And there, there is, there are reenactments you can see. Season one, episode four of my childhood nightmares or my paranormal nightmares. Josh, you've seen the show. I <laughs> blanking on it. Uh, my paranormal nightmare. Yes, that was the that's the Amazon show that you were featured on, right? Yeah, season one, episode four. Producers reached out. I shared a story about my house. The haunted historian already existed at this point, so that's why they connected with me. Um, I shared the story about the house I grew up in, and we were it, it was featured on um, on that episode. So 
<laughs> I say that because if after this you want to see an actual reenactment behind my, my my candid honesty and just retelling of it, you're more than welcome to go check it out. They certainly take a variety of liberties in creating it, <laughs> but the gist of it is correct. And you know what's funny is, I think I mentioned this to you previously, is that uh, the week that I had COVID, I watched that entire show in between the naps that I was taking. And somehow, I don't know how this happened, I skipped your episode during the entire nap and mentioned it to you saying, hey, I just found this new great show and you were like, I'm on that show. And I somehow just skipped it. I, I thought maybe the recognition of your voice would have woken me up, but um, I, I went back and did watch it at a later time. You know, it's a very well done show. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it, it was, they, they, we filmed it back in 2019. I think it was last year, 2021, that it came out sometime. I was wondering when it was gonna air, but I'm not a, a TV-minded person, so I know post-production probably takes a nightmare of time. No it pun does. <laughs> I have experience in that, yeah. Editing takes quite a long time. Essentially, what happened from there, as we got into our um, pre-teen years and our early teenage years, were, a weirdly spaced out number of occurrences that either I experienced or me and my friends experienced or our neighbors experienced. And I'm just gonna kind of give a rundown of what happened and why it messed with my head so much to the point that I'm still hunting these things at the age of 27. Essentially, the very first one was the first visual encounter that we had. At the breakfast table one morning, my oldest brother, Colin, he mentions that he thought Shane, my twin brother, was sleepwalking last night. This wasn't startling news. Shane slept walk all of his life. He, he even slept walk at basic training for the Navy, which was not taken as lightly. <laughs> but the point is, this was not an unknown occurrence for him. He said he sat up in bed, he looked at the end of his um, bed, essentially, and there was just this gray, misty figure, just about the size of Shane, and it, it looked like him. And Colin just asks him, you know, very groggily, are you all right? Like, do you need something? And he like swings his legs out of bed and it's gone, just dissipates. And he chalks it up to a dream or, you know, his eyes playing tricks with him in the dark. And he tells us this. He tells us this the next morning. Shane's laughing. He's like, no, I didn't sleepwalk into your room as far as he knew. And I was kind of taken aback by it. I'm like, oh, that's that's really weird. And as the, as the months continued and here and there, we kept having something sit in our bed, stroking our, stroking our hair, stroking our back. I woke up one night. And mind you, Shane and I, being twins, we just stopped sharing a room. We had a, a bunk bed in his room. So it was kind of a big deal for us at a young age to have that separation from one another because certainly when we were younger, we had that strong twin connection. Mm -hmm. I woke up one night and I see Shane standing at the end of my bed. And I'm, I'm a lot more unnerved by it, more so in um, a protective way, I guess. You know, I swing my legs out of bed, I'm like, are you all right? Like, what's, what's wrong? Why are you in my room? Like, do you need me to come back into the room for the, for the night or something? which didn't seem like shame, but of course that's where my mind was immediately going. I stood up from bed, I put on my glasses and I turned towards the end of my bed and it was just gone. But in that moment, as I was standing there in the dark of my room, 
I remembered exactly what my older brother had said, and it just hit me like a light bulb that I just saw the exact same thing. When I, when I saw it, I wasn't scared. I, like him, thought it was Shane. I wasn't engulfed in fear. My mind wasn't playing tricks on me, and I was seeing things. It became brotherly. I thought Shane needed me, and it wasn't until the exact same occurrence of it blasting away into midair happened that I realized, oh my God, that wasn't Shane, but it was exactly what Colin had described it as being, a, a shorter Shane looking like 10 years, 10 year old kid. And it was gone. And it, I, I could not sleep the rest of my night. I remember I locked my door, I turned my lights on and I just sat at my desk the entire night. I was too afraid to even step foot in the hallway. And it was just, it was the most unnerving experience I'd had as a young kid. Mm -hmm. And there would only be one other instance that I ever saw a figure inside of my home. And this would be years more down the road. That's kind of the trend with the haunting of my house. It wasn't consistent. It wasn't predictable. And whenever it happened, it was seemingly something brand new. And that's what really gave me the sense that there might've been like a, a light level portal here or something. Cause like either this place is haunted by like 10 spirits and they're all just quiet as hell and we never hear them or like different things are coming at different times because mm -hmm. we couldn't predict it but no we a lot playing. like a lot like the passing of your grandmother was there any event that took place near the first time you you saw this shadow figure that was your brother there there was nothing that really happened and the thing of it is is that my father was um, a civilian in the military at a, a one of the Local, at a local Air Force base nearby us. I won't say the name of it. And my mother's a pharmacist, so she's got degrees in chemistry and biology and all this stuff. So very science-minded woman. So they're, they were never, they never really bought into this. Now, later on in my life, they think it's cool that I do it and they like to keep track, I think, for the novelty of it. Like, mm -hmm. oh, it's kind of kind of nifty that Connor, Connor does this here and there. But back then, I I think that there were so many occurrences that they tried to hide from us that they themselves couldn't explain and that maybe they were just kind of looking the other way for and were hoping that we would too. And one such occurrence was late at night around the same time of our lives. We all woke up in the middle of the night to the sounds of my parents sprinting down the hallway. And this is like 2 or 3 a.m. Uh, and they're heading into Colin's room. Shane and I get out of our separate rooms and we look into the hallway to see what's going on. And when we get there, my dad is like, he, he's messing around with Colin's radio, which apparently is like blaring. Like we were just like so out of it, we couldn't even hear it. But they heard his radio come on in the middle of the night and it was like blasting wild static noise. And Colin was like curled up in like the corner of his bed, horrified by it. So we were, they were actually, uh, in the next couple of days, like selling his stereo. So they just kind of took it apart right there. They unplugged it from the wall. They unplugged the uh, two side speakers from the main console. And that was that. They just like put it in the, the corner of his room. They're like, sorry about that. Like, this is obviously why we're selling it. Like it's, it's going haywire. We're giving it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. We all lay back down. You know, it was no big deal to any of us really. And then 20 minutes later, the exact same thing happens. 
his radio blares on and it was just even louder this time like screeching this like white noise parents were running down the hallway heading into his room columns like curled up again in the corner of his bed and i remember just the look that my parents gave each other and it wasn't like a definitive look of anything it was it's a look of utter confusion like what is going on like how is this possible because you just un they unplugged it and basically took the thing apart right yeah the, the speakers weren't into the main console nothing was plugged into the wall the three separate parts were detached from one another it couldn't be on even if it was like i don't know some weird tech glitch it couldn't mm -hmm. be on and so it, it was weird Colin spent the rest of the night, he went into the bottom bunk in Shane's room and my parents took the radio and they put it downstairs in the basement. And that was that. I was really freaked out by this. So I couldn't go to sleep for the rest of the night. I don't know how the rest of my family did. <laughs> but the thing of it was, is that I didn't think my dad could sleep either. Because he had an office in the basement and he used to own his own company and would work downstairs in the office till the super late hours of the evening, early hours of the morning. And I heard I heard stuff down there. And oftentimes when I did and I couldn't sleep, I'd go to the banister on the top floor and I would look at the mirror down on the foyer because I could see the reflection in that mirror of the basement door and see if the lights were on. So I walked out there and I look into the mirror and the light in the basement isn't on, but there's something weird. The door is wide open and that's not something that we ever do because we had big dogs growing up. They would chew all the wires on my dad's computers. So he would close the door every single night. And I, I don't know, you can make the argument that he'd just been down there. It was late, he wasn't thinking and he left it open when he came back up after putting the radio down there. Mm -hmm. But I looked over and he was sound asleep in bed. There was no sign of the dog anywhere, but I heard noise down there and I couldn't quite make out what it was. And I was about to go wake him up to say, dad, dad, I think the dog is like destroying the wires downstairs with your computers until the noises started getting louder and I could make out what it was. The four closet doors that we had leading into the storage area, they were opening and closing, opening and closing. And it started out with one, is what I was hearing, but then it turned into all four of them. You could hear every bit of it. And I was about to go wake up my parents again now because I'm truly horrified. I look over to my left in the Shane's room. I see he's sitting up in bed looking right at me out there on the landing. And he looks petrified, looking at me like, what's going on down there? And I just run back into my room. I close the door. And like many nights when I was a kid, I just sat there with the lights on, praying it would all go away. Yeah. But of course, the, the air vent in my room led right down to the basement. So I could hear everything in the basement so clear. And it was petrifying. And like a lot of our experiences in the evening, we woke up the next morning, we sat at the breakfast table, uh, my parents were both there, and I say to my dad, were you in the basement last night? And before I even tell him what happens, he's like, Connor, I don't wanna hear this. I don't wanna hear this stuff about ghosts in the house. Okay, we're fine, nothing is going on. I didn't even say anything that was going on down there. I yeah. didn't say anything. I just asked, were you down in the basement last night? Like we ask him most mornings when he's when he's been there since 2 a.m. And I just, I shut up about it. 
And I remember just my brothers and I stealing glances at each other, just like something, something was going on. But they sold the stereo the next day and it was gone. We didn't hear the doors anymore. Just like after a span of years, we didn't feel the padding on our backs anymore. Just like after my experience, we never saw the gray apparition anymore. And life went on and years went on and new experiences came about. And just like all the other ones, we never knew what the hell they were. And I think the most damning experience that I ever had, not the scariest, but the most damning in terms of it's not just us now. My parents were going out to dinner. Uh, Shane and I, and as well as Colin, he was there. We were playing basketball across the street with some neighbor kids. And from the vantage point of their driveway, you can see into my parents' room perfectly. Uh, I thought my parents were leaving in about 20 minutes. But um, as we're playing, I turn to Shane and I look at him like, hey, look, you can see dad in the bedroom. And we all turn around and you can see what we assume is my dad, a male figure, standing, looking in the mirror at their dresser as though he's fixing on a tie and like putting on a dress shirt and a suit. And it's just standing there very eerily. It's not moving. And once everything's on, it just stands there. And I'm like, when are mom and dad leaving, Shane? And I turn around when I ask him this and he is near tears. Like he looks petrified and I ask him what's wrong and he's like mom and dad left 20 minutes ago and so we look at all the neighbor kids and they're like what and we go into the side lot where you can see our garage and cars are gone my parents had in fact left 20 minutes ago or whenever amount of time ago but all about 10 kids in the neighborhood stood there and watches a male figure put on a suit in my parents' bedroom, staring at the mirror. We grabbed bats, we grabbed shovels, we got into their kitchen, we got into one of the kids' kitchen and took out some fucking knives. And we all snuck back into that house and we just searched it head to toe. Everybody was invested because we'd all just seen this. And we were convinced somebody had broken in. And all of us, a little an army of kids like you know equipped to the teeth with bludgeoning and deadly weapons search the basements the closets the ground floor the bedrooms the upper floors where we had seen it in my parents room there was nothing there was absolutely nothing no sign of anything the doors were locked everything was fine and we came back out and it just wasn't there anymore and two of the kids in fact had stayed behind because they didn't want to go into the house after seeing that. And they told us no sooner had we gone into the house than the figure in the suit had started to move again and walked out into the main, the main landing. Essentially, what was there left the room and headed right towards us. We would have seen it. And it was just gone. And we never told our parents about this. We knew we would be chastised we didn't want them to mention it to the parents the neighbor kids and have us look weird so we kept it to ourselves all of the kids like some dirty little secret and it was just mind-numbing how crazy it was to see that but like everything else we never saw it again it happened that one time and it was gone forever okay so we got to start to figure out what what was going on in this house because it seems like everything is just so 
different and many people are experiencing it is like did we was your family buying antiques that had spirits attached to them was there some sort of portal uh, it just it's all very different and it you know you've seen full body apparitions every single time so it's like what the hell was going on we had a very techy family my dad got the latest and greatest of anything there were no antiques anywhere all throughout owning the house we renovated the rooms as it came you know kept it up with the times we were as modernized as a family throughout the the eras as you could be and there was never anything like that the only explanation i ever had that i could ever come to was that southwest ohio where i grew up that area is ripe with indian burial grounds with cemeteries that have been done away with for plots of land and we were one of the very first houses if not the very first in our neighborhood to go up there's there are about 200 houses there by the time we moved out but we were the very first one to break ground and the only thing i could ever think about and mind you i have no evidence to suggest it was that we were the first ones there we disturbed something and now our house has it inside and you know it's it's very interesting that you say that because as you were mentioning this last story about the gentleman putting on a suit in the house everybody seeing him i had a very similar experience with seeing somebody who i thought was my mom uh until i realized that that's somebody i've never seen before in my life who the hell is in my house and the property that my family built uh, here in wisconsin was the first house in our subdivision which used to be farmland used to be the city dump believe it or not uh, we would go digging in the backyard and we would find bottles and things from the early 1900s so this was a property that had been undisturbed you know once all that activity stopped for probably 50 60 70 years so maybe there is something to say about building a house on a plot of land that hasn't been disturbed for quite some time I, it's just been such a sensationalized in TV and film as, as a reasoning behind home being haunted. Like, oh, this is an Indian burial ground and like, you know, something out of poltergeist or whatnot. And everyone thinks it's just uh, a fable of film. But it, it's very often, even today, the reasoning behind so much of it. And I guess relative to other regions of the U.S., a very real possibility for when our house went up. Exactly. You know, you always think, oh, well, that house isn't old. It can't be haunted. Nobody's died there. But just because a house is old doesn't mean it's haunted. Uh, I think my current house is a good example of that. And a traumatic event doesn't have to happen in a property for it to be haunted. There's other ways for these things to happen. Exactly. After that experience, honestly, I, I thought the house was done. Like nothing else happened. Nothing else went wrong. There were no other encounters for like the next six years that we lived there. And we honestly started to forget about it, that these things had ever happened, truly. And there were two final occurrences that I had that I think were happening because we were preparing to sell the home. 
and in one last ditch effort, whatever was there or through whatever kind of potential portal was able to get there, made itself known two more times. And that was like the final hurrah. If you've had a paranormal experience of your own, reach out to the Haunted Historian team at hauntednarrative at gmail.com or message us on Instagram and your story could be featured on a future episode of the show. Be sure to check out this week's show notes to find links to the Haunted Historian's Instagram and Facebook channels, where you can follow along with our team to see the latest locations we've been tracking and where we plan on venturing to next. And be sure to tune in next week for our latest episode. The Haunted Historian podcast is written by Connor Gossel and produced by Josh Hughes, with original scoring created by Tyler Quinn. 